Stand clear of the closing doors, please. What's up, locals? It's Mike and Kenzie coming to you live from the beautiful Truckee, California. We made it through episode one. It is finally here. We covered a lot of different topics. Kenzie, what's on the list? Today we cover what it's like turning 26 and going through a quarter-life crisis. We talk about what it's like being a normie versus influencer. And last but not least, phone addiction. That one hits close to home. So let's get into it. Buckle up, bitches. I wrote a blog recently about being on the backside of my 20s and the feelings that I'm going through and what I'm encountering with that and the fears of stagnation and really just a lot of goal setting, a lot of prioritization. And I know that I have a pretty packed schedule, so it's really trying to maximize my time and make the most out of it. You just turned 26 recently, Kenzie. How has that experience been for you so far? When I turned 26 this year, it felt different than other birthdays that I had it just felt like there was more weight to this birthday and it was because I felt like this pressure of like you know do you have it figured out like where where what have you accomplished where have you been where are you going and not having those answers was anxiety driven Mm -hmm. and so it just made me reflect a lot and it made me feel a little bit like I was in a quarter-life crisis Mm -hmm. and that is a really good term. I like it. It makes sense because it feels that way. It feels like, oh shit, I need to figure my stuff out. When I graduated college, I expected myself at 26 to be way more put together, way more established. Like I just, I don't know what I expected. I thought that I would be at this point paying a mortgage and have like a better paying job. We might be married. I didn't really know what to expect, but that was kind of like the road that I envisioned. Definitely. And where we're at now does not reflect that. Not to complain. We're in a good spot. Well, it's, and that's okay. Like, I think the, the point of, of reflecting on that, of like what your expectations were when you were 20 years old and imagining what 25 would be like, like you put those expectations on yourself. You had no idea back then what your life was going to actually be like. And so now that you're 25 or 26 or whatever you are, and you're like, oh my gosh, like I really thought I would be in a different place. It doesn't need to be super negative. Not at all. It's it's more about valuing time. Mm-hmm. That's really what it boils down to is what am I using my time for? And how can I best use that to get what I want done? Yeah. And I think being goal-oriented is a really big one that's really helped push through a funk that I've been feeling recently. Is just kind of what are my priorities? What am I focused on? And what is my free time going towards? Because I was addicted to my phone. I still am. But working through that and trying to get some of that free time back so that we can do things like podcasting and I can do things like writing and just kind of exploring myself and expressing myself creatively. Creatively. Yes. Um, I actually had a couple questions from this podcast I was listening to about a quarter life crisis. (laughs) And 
I guess my question to you, and this might be my question to other people, and maybe they're going through the same feelings, but it's like, what is that feeling that you're feeling? Mm -hmm. Because I know for me, it was like just this immense amount of pressure that literally just came on my birthday. Mm. Like it wasn't before. It just came on my birthday and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm 26. Like that, like I'm not 25. I'm not, I'm not younger 20s anymore. Like I am on the older side of my 20s. And it just felt like there was this big pressure to have it all figured out. And so I, I'm just wondering what other people might be feeling. Because I know just from other conversations that I've had with people you know, if they're single, they're like, oh, like, you know, I'm not with anybody right now. I thought I'd be married or like all my friends are getting married. For me, I have a bunch of friends that are having kids. Um, I thought I'd be making more money, like whatever it is. It's just like, what is that feeling of discomfort that you're feeling? My feeling is more so right now is a grind. Life feels like a grind. I'm working two jobs. Um, I do, you know, 16 hour days, three days a week. And I want to enjoy the life that we live and the lifestyle out here in Tahoe. And I don't get to do that as much. So I can't snowboard when I want to because I have a day job and then I have to go and do my dining job. I can't, I have to save that for the weekends. And when it's super busy, it's not the most fun experience. Um, I also want to do jujitsu. And so trying to like align my, my schedule, I do it a couple times a week. And that's not nearly as much as I want to. It's not nearly as much as I want to exercise. So it feels like my entire schedule is packed from Monday through Sunday. Mm-hmm. Like I try and get as much as I can in as like for fun and also just shit I need to do on the side during the weekends because Monday through Friday is work. So it's, it's this grind mode where life keeps going faster and faster. And, you know, I close my eyes in February, I wake up and it's July. So that's not a good feeling if I'm not working towards something important. Right. With how fast that's going. I might miss out on some really cool experiences, um, a lot of personal development, and just really hitting those goals. So that's why I've like realigned myself and really just been really, really fixated on what can I get done? What can I be like the most effective with my time? Yeah, I think that's really important. And from what I'm hearing from you, it's it's more about aligning your values mm-hmm. with your day-to-day. And in the podcast I was listening to, they were talking about how the art of comparison is the death of happiness. Mm -hmm. And so if you're comparing yourself to other people and you're like, Oh, well they get to go out and snowboard today on a weekday and I don't, you know, and that's something that's super important to you. It's like, is that really important to you? Like, do you need to go snowboard on a weekday or is it more just like having the flexibility of, or like, yeah, having the flexibility to do what you want throughout your day and not be stuck to your nine to five job. Like what, what are your core values? And when, once you establish that and you have a clear vision, then you can start to align your like behaviors so that you feel fulfilled in your day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. I don't think I get jealous by comparison. It's not looking at somebody's story and going, Oh, that bitch is out there on the mountain on a Monday. It's frustration because I want to set up my life to be able to do what I want when I want. Mm -hmm. And I'm not at that position yet. So that's where I felt like that angst and that internal frustration and tension is because my life is not set up the way I envisioned it to be. So recently it's like, how can I make that happen? Mm -hmm. Um, Which means just kind of putting my head down and grinding and then also having the most fun that I can every weekend and every day and being more present in each moment. 
I feel like that's been something that I've been putting a lot of intention towards is trying to be more present because it sucks when you realize like, holy shit, we're already in the second month of the year. It's about to be the third. We're almost at the end of February. So that's how quickly this shit goes. Yeah. Like some well, people, it's the end of February, which really means it's March, right. which means it's actually April, <laughs> and then it's May. It's basically summer. <laughs> it's basically summer. <laughs> so it's it's that. It's wanting to get my schedule the way I want it to be, and I know that I am responsible for how my life is. So I know that I put myself in this position. My job had a lot of support to get here, don't get me wrong. But at this point, I have a solid enough platform to launch from and work with. So it's how do I set up my schedule? Yeah, how do you prioritize your time that aligns with your values and your goals? And I think to go back to the, like just to the quarter life crisis concept, because I don't, I don't want to say I'm in a quarter life crisis because I think. I thought you already said that. Well, <laughs> I don't want to say, I mean, I said it, yes, <laughs> but I don't want to believe that I'm in a quarter life crisis because I don't actually think it's a quarter life crisis. Like when I think about that. It like that makes me feel like, oh, I've hit rock bottom. So that's actually a really good point. I want to ask you this question. How do you define a quarter life or a midlife crisis? Like when you think of a midlife crisis, what does that look like? Because you're experiencing the half of that, right? Well, right. And that's that's what I'm trying to clarify is like, I think when you're in a crisis, it's so extreme and it feels like you have nowhere to go but up right? (laughs) Like you're at the bottom and there's nowhere to go but up. I think I have the option of going up right now or down. Mm -hmm. Like that is the place that I'm at where I see behaviors that could propel me forward. And then I see the behaviors that are also in my day to day that could shoot me down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. So I I don't feel, I guess like going back, I don't feel like it's a quarter life crisis. I just feel like I'm in this transition period where I need to realign my values and my goals to make sure that I'm continuing to propel myself forward in life Mm -hmm. so that when I am 30 or 35, like I have accomplished the goals that I've wanted to. And you have to create that vision for yourself. Like when I was 20, I didn't have the vision of what it was going to be like at 25. I had no goals Mm-hmm. From what, like, when I, I'm like, oh, I never thought I would be this. I didn't think anything at all. Yeah. Like, I never thought anything at 25. I was just like, oh, at 25, like, I'm probably going to be doing this. I'm probably going to be doing that. It was almost like an expectation of the next step in life. Mm-hmm. And it's because I didn't actually establish goals for myself, that's why I'm not where I thought I would potentially be. Like if in order to buy a house, you have to save enough money. You have to talk to a loan officer. You have to get with a real estate agent and you have to be working towards that goal. Like it doesn't, you don't just buy a house. It doesn't just come out of thin air. Yeah, you don't fall into yeah, it. Yeah, you don't fall into it. The job to make more money, like you have to develop those skill sets and make yourself valuable to uh, a company or to yourself where you can make that money. Like it's not just going to come. Like you have to work hard at it and it comes with the goals that you set for yourself. So no, I don't think I'm in a quarter life crisis, but I think those who may feel like they are, or are, are also battling with the feelings that, you know, we have been the last couple months. Right. I would just say, it's really about asking yourself, like, are you aligned with your goals right now? Are you aligned with your values? And to get clear on that. I do think that having a vision of where you want to be and what you want to do is so fucking important. And if you don't have that, you're going in blind. 
And if you're going in blind, you don't know what actions and steps to take. And if you don't do that, you're probably going to be in the same place or worse. Like that's where I found myself was not having a vision. And we didn't burn two years here in Tahoe. No. But it certainly feels like I could have been more productive. I could have done more for myself. Yeah. And so that crisis that I describe, it's not a rock bottom. It's a hyper awareness of the position I'm in now, not aligning with where I thought I would be Mm -hmm. and wanting more for myself in the present moment. Yeah. And so that's the, the crisis feeling is I need to do better and I'm not exactly happy with the outcomes that I've achieved for myself so far. So that's really healthy. When I think of a midlife crisis, like I always think of the guy who's, you know, 40 or 50, he's out there buying the yellow Porsche. He just got a divorce. He's trying to bang his like 22 year old girlfriend. Like that's, that's the quarter life or I'm sorry, midlife crisis. <laughs> the quarter life. <laughs> if you're doing that at 25, you're doing well. If you're doing that at 50, it's like, is everything okay? Yeah. Um, and I am asking myself, is everything okay? That's what that crisis feeling is. Yeah. Well, even you know, you talking about what you think a midlife crisis would be. Like you're comparing Mm -hmm. what, like you're establishing that's a midlife crisis. Well, I think a 25, 26 year old, somebody in our position is going through this self-defining attitude. It's so much about what do I like? What do I dislike? What do I want to be? What do I not want to be? Yeah. Like I've seen that in myself and I've seen that in you and some of our peers of just what do you invite into your life and what are you trying to get away from? Because right. there's, this is a huge moment of like self change and being yeah. able to just dictate what your life becomes. Well, also you're 25, your brain is fully developed by allegedly. the age of allegedly, but I really do feel that way. Like mm-hmm. when I think about my brain five years ago, 10 years ago to where it is now, holy moly. Like I really do feel like my brain is fully developed. And so it's like, I want to, I want to maximize my brain's health. I want to nurture it. I want to grow it, you know, where it is right now. Mm -hmm. It's hard to really feel like, for me, it's hard to really feel that my brain is fully developed. I don't believe that to be true. I think that that's a generality, but there's so much like uh, variance between people that, you know, somebody might be fully developed mentally at 22. Some people might not finish developing mentally until they're 30. And there are people that I've met who are much older than 30 who seem like they just fucking missed the mark. And it's like, are you all here? Did you miss a couple couple important chapters of life? Because that full development, I don't see everybody having. And it's a little concerning. It's something that well, I, I also see I think that comes down to like the behaviors that you're engaging in. Like I, I think that if your brain is fully developed at the age 25, you're also at a point where you're making decisions that can... I'm going to disagree with you, though, because there are fully formed adults, people who are 40, who do not have self-control, who do not have discipline, who don't know how to work with their brain, right? Mm-hmm. They, they look at like their brain is something that's guiding them and their behaviors are guiding them, but they don't really feel like they have authority over their decisions, over their feelings, over their actions. They're reactive. So I, I do think that there is, that's what I'm talking about, like that difference of somebody who's mm. very disciplined and very tuned in and goes, okay, my brain is just a muscle. There's a bunch of neurons firing. It's trying to put these ideas together. It's putting words in my mouth. I'm saying those words, but how I feel and how I think is different than what my brain is doing. Like when you feel sad or you feel like you don't want to do something, this morning was a great example. Getting up was hard as fuck. 
we decided, oh, we're going to get up at 5.30 and go to the gym. Kept hitting snooze until 6.30. And then at 6.30, I woke up angry. Because I was like, I should have been up an hour ago doing this. Like, no brain. We're not going back to bed. We're getting up. We're starting our day. Let's get this shit going. That's a, do, you, do you understand what I'm saying there? I understand what you're saying. I think, again, it still comes down to the behavior. Because you are choosing to get up at 5.30 or set your alarm for 5.30 to get up to go to the gym. Mm -hmm. Someone could have that thought, but it's the discipline to do it. And that comes, I think, with self-awareness. I think it comes with aligning with your goals. I mean, how many times have we actually got up at 5.30 and gone to do that? Like, literally, never for me. <laughs> like, never. And so it's just something that I want to start. Mm -hmm. So I think, again, it's just the behaviors that you're choosing to do and implement in your daily life that can either propel you forward or shoot you back down. Mm -hmm. And so at 40, if they don't have, if that person does not have self-discipline and is reactionary, they are not taking the steps to, and they probably are self-aware. Maybe they're not, but they're not taking the steps to fix that. And it's habitual. Yeah. Okay. I can see that where I deviate from that is when you're exercising and you're tired and you want to quit. That's not you wanting to quit. That's your brain trying to find little ways out of it saying, okay, you're punishing the body. I'm tired. I'm going to convince you that you're dying. Like, you know, that feeling if you're in the sauna for 30 minutes, if you're on the treadmill and you're running for 30 minutes, your brain tries to convince you to stop. And there is something you can do and you can tell it, no bitch, we're still going. I'm right. not done yet. That's why I think like the brain. That's is like discipline though. Like that part is discipline. Yeah. And there's two, there's many parts going on in your brain. That's like telling you, Oh, I'm so tired. Like, Oh, I don't want to keep going. And you have to push through. And so it's like, it's just talking back to that little demon inside your head. And you're just like, no, mm -hmm. like I'm going to do I, what is better for me. Yeah. And so I, I just think it comes back down to discipline, behavior, all of that. I feel like that's your inner bitch. Like mm -hmm. your brain is your inner bitch and you need to be the captain of your ship and tell it no. Like I am in the, I'm in the driver's seat. This is where we're going. This is what we're doing. Yeah. And sometimes that's discipline. Sometimes that's habit too. Cause you can let that bitch take over and that's where people are, you know, sleeping in way too late, eating shitty food, not working, not focusing, not being disciplined. That's what happens when you let the brain take over completely. I think. Mm-hmm. For anybody experiencing a quarter-life crisis or a midlife crisis or anything, any kind of crisis of self, what do you think the right steps are in order to get yourself out of that? If someone is feeling like they're in a quarter-life, midlife, whatever crisis, from the podcasts that I have listened to in the past and just like research I've done and what has worked for me in my day-to-day -day is one, try not to speak so harshly to yourself because that really does paralyze you and it actually is really unmotivating. And I was thinking about this uh, method of like, you know, fuck you, bitch. No, you're going to do it. Like, go, go, go. But like when you talk to yourself in such a harsh manner, it actually creates self-hatred long-term. Mm. And even though you got through that workout because you were like, yeah, fuck you, bitch. Like, you know, get down, like do the more, <laughs> do more push-ups. Like you're going to do it. Like, like, you fat piece of shit. Like, yes, drill sergeant. <laughs> yeah, like, like that type of self-talk, like, even though it could get you through in the short term, it's not healthy long term. 
And so I think it goes back to, again, realigning your day-to-day habits with your goals and who, like the person you want to become, like who is that person? Like really sit down and reflect on it. It's not easy. It's not easy to reflect on, but habits are a daily challenge. Like it is a grind to make sure that you are battling that inner bitch inside of you. And so it's not like this one day, you know, or like 30 days you do these habits and like, you're good, you're fixed. Like, no, it's a daily thing for years. It's for the rest of your life. Like Mm -hmm. it's a lifestyle to battle your inner demons every single day. So I would say, you know, get clear on your core values and really find like what, what makes life meaningful to you? Mm -hmm. Like not in comparison to other people and what you see on Instagram and what you see the people you follow do, but like what really aligns with you? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't know what that is, this is just something that I've deployed in the last weeks. And I say weeks because I don't know when the timeline was, but it's been a little over a month. Um, separating yourself from screens, separating yourself from social media and trying to be more present in the moment But what really helped me was sitting down in a room alone, isolated, locking the door, putting away all the screens, getting away from the internet, and sitting in front of a piece of paper and writing down, what do I value? What brings me joy? What am I good at? What am I bad at? What do I want to get better at? What is meaningful to me? And just questioning all of those and really looking at, like, why am I feeling the way I am right now? What actions and reactions have I done to get myself here? And there's clearly a path out of it. How do If I were to give myself advice, what advice would I give? Because that's what I'm seeking at that point. Exactly. And also, when have you felt successful and happy and out of that funk? Because those, um, those like crisis feelings that we have, like they're just phases of life. And so the other phases of life, when you felt content, when you felt happy, when you felt accomplished, like at peace, at peace, like what are those moments and what are, what were you doing? Because mm-hmm. obviously your daily grind changes mm-hmm. um, depending on, you know, work, where you're living. Like, you know, it changes throughout your life. And so just reflect on like when you felt the happiest, when you felt successful and try to incorporate those daily habits yeah. into your life. I do want to touch on one thing about berating the inner bitch because it comes from a place of self-love, not self-loathing. And I can see where that can get crossed. I separate myself from that inner bitch. I don't consider it part of me. It is. It's instinctually part of me. But in those moments where there's weakness, where there's doubt creeping into my mind, I'm not calling myself a bitch. I'm not calling myself weak. I'm not degrading myself. I'm degrading that voice that's trying to come through to convince me to do what's not good for me. Mm-hmm. Like that's, It would be like having a really shitty friend who's telling you all the wrong advice and telling you to go all the wrong directions. And telling them to shut the fuck up. Yeah. And that's that's what that voice is to me. So it's, I love myself enough to shut that voice up and work through it rather than succumb to that voice. That's that's where I don't want to get it mistaken. It's self-love, not self-loathing. Yeah. No, I, I do, uh, like, I know that you separate that. I'm just saying there are people out there, and we do know some of those people, that talk terrible mm-hmm. to themselves. Yeah, and so negative and speak. Yeah. So I would say, you know, for those people, yeah, maybe in the short term, it might be working for you, but just think about long term, 
ways that you can talk to yourself that are more motivating. Mm -hmm. You can do it. I believe in you. (laughs) I believe in me. Um, I did want to talk about a fun little interaction that I had and it might tie into like fame and popularity, but I serve tables at nights and the other day Joe Jonas was sitting at my table and he was a totally normal dude. I didn't recognize him at first because I wasn't into like the Disney channel and the Jonas brothers. So he didn't have that fame factor for me. I didn't know it was Joe Jonas. All the other servers in the back were like giggling and being like, Oh my God, do you know who that is? (laughs) And like seeing that was a little weird because I had treated him completely normal and he seemed a little bit offended because it seemed like I wasn't in awe of who he was. I was just like, can I get you more water? Like, would you like another beer? Right. And so it was like, does this guy not know who I am? That was the attitude that I was getting. Yeah. And after my coworkers telling me who it was, there wasn't like a shift that I could make. I'm not going to like sit down and suck his dick or anything. (laughs) So it's like, okay, well, um, thank you for joining us. Like, how was the meal? Can I get you anything else? And then I didn't even realize that he's married to Lady Sansa. Okay. (laughs) Like that was also a surprise to me. She doesn't look anything like she did in Game of Thrones. She's not in like a wolf pelt. So I I don't know who she is. But had I realized that that was Lady Sansa, I would have fangirled a little bit. (laughs) Because I had the biggest question that I wish I would have asked. I thought about it in the shower after the fact. And I was like, if I had the opportunity again for Lady Sansa to be sitting at my table. (laughs) Lady Sansa. I don't even know her real name. But I would have to ask and just be like, this is completely unprofessional. I need to ask you something. On the set of Game of Thrones, Lord Peter Baelish, his accent going back and forth between gay pirate what was that? and Irishman, did that ever throw you off? Because <laughs> that bugged the shit out of me. And I was a viewer. I could only imagine you're interacting with that person. Right. Oh, that would have been a great question because yeah. you and I went back and forth on that forever. I know. I Well, when you texted me that he was at your table and you were serving him, I was literally, I'm not even a you Jonas I was brother. a liar. Well, I was just, I I don't know why I couldn't remember. Like, I knew he was at Palisades. Like, I knew he was skiing over the weekend, Mm -hmm. but I didn't think he would, like, come to Bar of America, sit at the very, like, front table so publicly with all of his friends and his wife. And, like, just a person. I know, but it just, like, blew my mind. And so I'm working right, um, I'm working in downtown, and I text. Uh, Elizabeth, and I'm like, Joe Jonas is in Bar of America. We got to go. And so I did not walk. I ran. (laughs) And once I got in there, I literally was like starstruck because I was like, I kind of want a picture, but I also don't want to be rude. And like, yeah, I don't want to be that bitch and like ask for a picture. Mm -hmm. And I just kept thinking, I'm like, I probably look so awkward, like looking at him and he can see everyone looking. I mean, he's probably used to it, but that level of fame, it's just weird. Well, it's its not that level of fame anymore. That's part of it, too, right. is that you are not the most famous. You're not like, oh, my God, it's the Jonas Brothers. They're in here right now, and there's, like, 30 teenage girls screaming at the door, right? Right. And, like, my understanding of Joe Jonas is actually from South Park, when it's, like, they're all the gay Jonas Brothers, and it's like, <laughs> bye-bye. <laughs> so that's... When I see his face, that's what I thought. Oh, my God. I was like, this is not how you should interact with another person. Um, So when it comes to, like, acting around famous people, like, I I don't have this thing in me to fangirl over Joe Jonas. There's probably a handful of people out there that I would fangirl over and be like, I would love to get a picture. I want to shake your hand. Like, I want to talk to you. Something like that. Yeah. But acting around famous people and how people do it is kind of funny. 
it's really interesting to see like who has star power and who doesn't but they're just human beings they're just they're just people right they are just people they just get recognized for doing something cool in his case it was music and his hotter is it older brother younger brother who's the most famous of the jonas brothers i think nick jonas nick yeah he's he's like the the pinnacle of the three yeah i think so which one has diabetes Oh, I don't know. I don't know them that much. <laughs> I just remember one of them had diabetes and it was on like a teen mag that one of my friends had. Okay. Well, I, was, I was just <laughs> laughing at that. I was like, why is, why is this like part of the tabloids? Yeah. I don't, I don't know which one had diabetes, but I do know that, yeah, there's certain like actual famous people, like celebrities where I would definitely fangirl. Miley Cyrus is one of those people. Like I'd be like, oh my gosh. Like I wouldn't even know what to do with myself, honestly. But maybe start crying. (laughs) (laughs) But um, but influencers are seeming to become like celebrities nowadays, which is they want to be celebrities. Well, they want to be celebrities, but some people treat them as such too. And I'm definitely guilty of this. Like I, there was a uh, foodie van life uh, influencer. I'm not going to name names, but I was following her, and I literally called her by her. Uh, handle on Instagram like not even by her name by her handle and I it's just so silly like when I think about that I'm like I was not recognizing her as a real person and then when I saw her in real life I was like oh my gosh like I and it's just like she's just posting about van life and Food. food like why am I literally putting her up on a pedestal and you taught me so much yeah what it takes to shit in a van like <laughs> I just I'm like why why did I do that and it and it really like that moment I was like I need to step back like so these I do, are just real people I think yes they're human beings and they're just normal people to an extent but there is something that socially is probably wired into our brains where we see 40,000 people are tuning into what you're doing like you carry enough wait or you're doing something important enough that 40,000 people are paying attention to you I probably should too mm-hmm. like it's that group think of like are you the leader like are you are you yeah. leading us to to food to water to knowledge yeah like that's the tribal feeling I feel like that's ingrained in us yeah. so when we do have those like people of influence we look to them for leadership and they take full advantage of that they bask in it I definitely feel like influencers some influencers, not all of them, but some of them definitely get off on that. But I, I think about, okay, like if you're not an influencer, you're not a celebrity, you're a normie. Mm -hmm. And I thought about like, well, what is a normie versus an influencer in real life? I want to define normie as someone who is being influenced, Mm -hmm. like not normie as in like, like when I visually think of a normie, it's like, you know, the, the suit and tie, the bland. It's like, I'm thinking of like that SpongeBob character. I was literally thinking, I was thinking of um, Squidward when he's sitting there, yeah. he's like behind a desk and then he's shopping and then yeah. he's dancing at Jazzercise and it's like repeating yes. the cycle over and over and over again. He's surrounded by everybody like him. Yes. And he thought it was the best thing ever. Right. And he's like, oh my God, I'm, I'm not an individual. Right. I'm a normie. Yeah. Cause you're just being influenced into your, into your day to day. Let me ask you, would you rather be influenced or the influencer? Well, obviously I would rather be the influencer. I don't want to be completely influenced. I do think that's necessary to be influenced in positive ways, Mm -hmm. positive ways that affect your, your day to day life. But to be put on a pedestal, like I don't want to be put on a pedestal. I don't want to put other people on a pedestal. How I want to put their behavior 
on a pedestal. Like if I find that their behavior is positively going to affect my life and then, yeah, like I, I want to tune into that. I want to be obsessed about that, but to be obsessed about a person is so toxic and unhealthy. And that's what I see our society doing. I think when it comes down to influencers versus normies, I think that there is a healthy level of having normie behavior, but you want to be the influencer. You want to be the creator. And not not to say that you need like 10,000 plus followers, because I do think 10,000 plus is what will make you like an influencer, quote unquote, on Instagram. I think just in real life, like just make sure that you're doing things for you and creating for you, not for anybody else. And if people are influenced by that, great. But there is something silly with followership, specifically on Instagram. People can buy followers, right? There are people who I know that I went to high school with who do not have any influence. They have not created anything magical. They are not special. They are normies. And they have 10.2K followers or something like that. It never shows the actual amount that they have, like people who actually have those numbers do. It shows like 10.2K. And I know for a fact they've bought these followers because they're not out wheeling and dealing. They're not out doing crazy shit. It's right. just they want to see that number. Yeah. And they don't have the engagement on their photos either. They don't have yeah. the engagement on their videos. So it's like... Oh, it's very clear. Like, what was the point of that? That seems like it's self-gratifying rather than trying to put that image out to the public. Right. Like, I don't even know. I feel like that's just a wannabe influencer, like a total normie, mm -hmm. but wannabe influencer because they're still not creating anything. Like, even it's just about them. Like, what value are you bringing to people? I think that... That is what we're going to see, I think, in the job market currently. Also, like, friendships. Like, just in life, I feel like we're we're transitioning because there's been so much fakeness on social media and there's been so much, like, just lies, like, in politics and, like, you just don't know the truth. And so at the end of the day, it's going to be, like, what value do you bring? And you're going to choose, like, this is the person I want to spend the most time with. Like, they bring this kind of value to my life. This is the behavior or habit that I'm going to indulge in every single day because this brings value to my life. Uh, this is the content that I'm going to be consuming. And this is what I'm going to be following on Instagram because it brings value to my life. But if you don't bring any value and you have to freaking buy followers, you have to buy your friends, no. Well, also, these numbers are very arbitrary. Instagram, if you have 4,000 plus followers, you know, you either know a lot of people or you're up and coming, right? That's In my mind, that's one of two things. You already have a lot of connections to people or you're up and coming and you're on the way to being an influencer. On LinkedIn, I have over 4,000 followers and I am nothing special. I am a recruiter. I get people jobs. I don't have any influence on LinkedIn. It doesn't exist, but I have 4,000 people that are following my page right like it's a stupid arbitrary number but nobody's tuning into my linkedin like what is mike doing with the work i need to know like i have to know what he's doing yeah but on instagram it's a different feeling like there are people who tune into your shit that are genuinely curious whether it's your family or your friends or like friends of friends maybe somebody has a crush on you they're always looking at your shit they always want to know what you're up to mm -hmm. not on linkedin well, the algorithm is so different too. Mm -hmm. Like LinkedIn is pretty true for chrono. Actually, no, I would say that that's completely changed in the last six to eight months on LinkedIn. Like I'm seeing posts from two weeks ago, mm -hmm. a month ago, 
like all that different shit. But I also think it's other people like liking other people's posts and that's why it comes up on my timeline. It's like a bigger network. Yeah, but I miss like the chronological order of things. I miss that on Instagram. I miss that mainly just Instagram. <laughs> like I just, I'm getting fed so much curated content and I'm like, where the heck are the people that I actually follow? Like it's literally just the the bigger Instagram accounts that pop up on my timeline. The only way I really see what people are up to is their stories. Mm. Like on the day-to-day, like I do not see their feed posts. I literally just see stories. Most of the things on my page are memes. Memes, politics, and news. And that's also why I had to step away from Instagram because I would go down these like rabbit holes and get so frustrated. And like my blood pressure would go up. Well, you like, you are addicted to your phone. Yeah. That is a fact. Yep. I've been taking steps to get away from it. And that phone addiction is serious, but it's getting better. It used to be like four it's and a half hours of screen time a day. Now it's down to two and a half. So we're, we're making strides towards the right direction. Phone addiction is actually pretty common. Are you trying to justify your phone addiction? No, I don't have a phone addiction, but... Um, are you sure about that? This is an intervention, Kenzie. All of our listeners are here to help you too. All two of them. <laughs> <laughs> So I was looking up phone addiction because I actually was very curious about if it's like considered a real addiction or not. And it actually, it is and it isn't, but on Addiction Center website, they have an article and it's published by the National Library of Medicine. And they report that 6.3% of the overall population is addicted to their phone. The pattern of abuse is greatest among those under 30 with an average of 16% of adolescents addicted. And they literally list like signs, like warning signs and symptoms of phone addiction. Please tell me and I'll check the boxes and see if I... I won't read all of them, but lying about your smartphone use. No. (laughs) Actually, I feel like that is true about you. I'm like... Were you, were you just on, on your, your phone? I'm like, were you on your phone? You're like, no. <laughs> no. You have definitely done that before. No, I call BS. Okay. Um, There's no reason to lie about it. A loved on one expressing concern. <laughs> yeah. Neglect or trouble completing duties at work, school, or home. Yep. More and more time using a phone, which <laughs> I guess yeah, would no be shit. like mindless scrolling. Yeah. Uh, checking profile people's profiles repeatedly due to anxiety no um accidents or injury (laughs) no those are probably people that are like literally walking with their phone and like trip or something i imagine that are like oh i'm gonna go into a crosswalk on instagram and see what happens weak or non-existent social life (laughs) no uh fear of missing out yes fomo yeah i mean there's there's a bunch here i don't need to go into all of them but i definitely think that you have been very addicted to your phone and hold on, over the past what the, the excessive use of phone is like describing a heroin addict why are they a heroin addict well excessive use of heroin yes uh, that's <laughs> mainly it but yeah no shit excessive use of phone with a phone addiction how else does that work do you just hold it do you snuggle it <laughs> Oh my goodness. No, I, I definitely have been working through my phone addiction. I think it's been better. I had to delete social media off of my phone and that has really made a night and day difference because it was just all Instagram. Well, I think there's ways that you can overcome phone addiction. Like if you are aware of it, because for me, when I am, it's not necessarily phone addiction. It's like app addiction. Like some, like I had to delete TikTok for a while because I would be 
I wouldn't be mindlessly scrolling. It was mindlessly watching. And I would be on there. I mean, this is like embarrassing, but there was like times that I would spend like an hour, two hours on the app late at night, right before bed. And I would be so stimulated and so ill, like sick to my stomach, nauseous Mm -hmm. because I was on TikTok and just consuming like straight up just a consumer and it was disturbing and disgusting. And I know other people out there have also felt that way. And maybe it's on your, your phone too, where you have felt like you're just opening up apps for the sake of opening up apps and checking your phone. But I genuinely don't feel good when I do that. And so I, um, I turned off notifications completely. I put my phone on do not disturb. Like even phone calls coming in can get kind of triggering for me. I'm like, don't, don't call me, like just text me. And if we need to hop on a phone call, (laughs) we'll hop on a phone call. But like my phone truly kind of disgusts me. I have the direct opposite feeling. It is such a captivating device to look at. I feel like I want to experience the real world. And the real world that we live in is beautiful and captivating and awesome. And, not but, and this crazy little device in my pocket has access to goddamn anything I could look up. The access to information is right there at your fingertips. You can learn things. You can hear music. You can look things up. You can get angry and start screaming at people online into the like the bowels of Twitter. You can do all of that. That's exciting. That's like... It feels like that might be the next step in a There's metamorphosis. A thrill. No, it's not a thrill, but it's a metamorphosis <laughs> to the human consciousness because there's the outside real world that is far more valuable and far more entertaining and exciting. And then there's this thing that's developing and it's developed in our lifetime, right? Like I had a flip phone when I was a child. I was not addicted to that because it was not engaging. It didn't captivate my attention. Right. This thing wants to take my attention. Like it, all these apps they consume attention. That's their purpose. Yeah. Right. And then also to get you to buy things, but your attention is your number one. Like that's the currency that it operates in. Well, speaking of real world versus the virtual world, do you feel like being so much on your phone and doing like that mindless scrolling and like diving deep into rabbit holes when you experience the real world, do you feel a little bit numb? to it not numb i feel informed i feel informed of watching somebody walk up to a buffalo and get yeeted by a buffalo and go probably shouldn't do that but if you were to see someone get yeeted by a buffalo in real life because you've watched that like let's just say you watched it multiple times on your phone because of your memes that you keep Mm -hmm. seeing do you think that would numb you in real life? No. I think watching a human get <laughs> fucking flatlined on the pavement would be very, very moving. And very, uh, no, you, it wouldn't just be like, well, another day in the life. All right. Like, okay. When you ask me that how was my a day bad was. comparison. But okay, go. Okay. Like video games, like right. video games and the violence of like gun shooting. And like, that's the whole fear and scares that it numbs you like, in real same. life. No, absolutely not. I've played Grand Theft Auto. I've run over people on the sidewalk. I've shot up hookers <laughs> and I don't do that in real life. And in fact, When I see these things in real life, which I don't, we live in a small mountain town where it's literally that kind of violence doesn't happen. When you hear about it on the news, it troubles me. It's not like, well, that sucks. That sucks that that guy just rammed his car through a parade. Like, no, it's awful. 
I'm not desensitized to that. I'm desensitized to video violence. Like on Instagram, for example, there's a lot of videos that I would go down where it's like shootings in Brazil. And these guys just pull up on bikes, shoot up the block, a couple people drop, they take a purse and they ride away. And like, that's awful. You're witnessing a murder virtually. And it does not feel like the same thing as if it were in person. Even though that person that you just watched on the video died, it's not the same thing. Right. I also grew up in a generation where like you had access to the internet and it was untethered and you could see beheading videos. Like me and my friends have seen beheading videos together. And like that, when you're 11 or 12 years old, that really like fucks with you a little bit. And that's your understanding of like, okay, there's crazy violence out in the world. Thank God that's not happening to me. Right. And like just kind of went about my business. I don't think that that negatively affected me. I think that for some people that might like cross some wires, cause some problems. Yeah, I don't I don't think that it's necessarily like desensitized you, but I do think now that you're not on your phone as much and there's no really real reason for you to be on your phone unless someone's trying to communicate with you, you've definitely been more present. Totally. I feel that way. I've also been more productive, like just doing bullshit around the house and um, like unimportant things, but things that are important to me. Yeah. Like writing. That that has value to me because it feels like creative expression. Right. It may not have value to everybody, but there's a handful of people who read it. Yeah. Hopefully they get something out of it. Yeah. And I think too, what, when you are on social media, like for myself, like I have to be on social media for work mm-hmm. and I don't need to be on it all the time, every single day. But I've been thinking about, well, how can I be more productive with my time on social media rather than looking at like people's updates and what people are doing like that may be good every once in a while. But I feel like I should be going on there and being more productive. Mm -hmm. And so it's being mindful with your scrolling, mindful with the content that you're consuming. And it's going in knowing that, okay, I'm looking for a specific thing. Whatever it is that you are going on the internet or social media for, it's catching yourself so that you don't go down the rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. And it's setting limitations and putting boundaries up so that you don't do this mindless scrolling. Mm -hmm. So now that you've been off your phone for a week, how how do you feel? What What are some steps somebody else could take that is working for you? I feel more present. I feel better. I feel better than anybody around me just kidding (laughs) (laughs) i am on a high horse um i definitely feel like i'm more aware in social circumstances i feel like i can read people better and i'm just more conscious of what's going on in the area because if you're on your phone and you're kind of like tuning in tuning out also looking at people you don't really know what's going on around you all the time i feel more conscious about my attitudes and behaviors and don't really feel like i'm reacting to something so much Because if you go down those rabbit holes, you get agitated and you carry that like tension in you and you're like, why am I just feeling shitty? Like what's going on here? I don't have that, which is really refreshing and it feels great. I'm sure you see that too. I do. I definitely see you being more productive and more intentional with your time. Mm -hmm. It makes me aware of like, okay, when I'm on my phone, you know, it's just a reminder. I don't think I'm as addicted as you are. Like I truly could leave my phone in mm-hmm. another room for hours and be okay with that just because of how I feel daily on it. I do see a change in your behavior and it's amazing that you already feel that within a week. Imagine a month or a year. Yeah. Soon I'll be cured. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
No, I think that if anybody really wanted to follow those kind of footsteps and realizes, like, I am addicted to my phone too, how do I get away from that? Deleting social media is number one. And looking at your screen time report, like, you have to use your phone in order to figure out what's wrong with yourself when using your phone. Look at your screen time report. Look at which apps are taking the most amount of your time. And if it's anything productive, awesome. I'm not going to tell you to, like, throw away something productive that's making your life better. But if it's just a time suck and it's taken away from what you could be doing, you could be contributing something rather than consuming, delete that shit. Get it out. You don't need it. If you do need it, maybe you have a bigger problem. So once you delete that, then it's just, it's that little bitch in your head telling it, no, we're not going back on Instagram. Yep. Like you don't need to know what's going on in the news right now. It's discipline and it's changing those daily habits so that you can propel yourself forward. Set it down and go do something else, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, should we wrap it up? Yeah, let's wrap it up. All right. See you next week, people. Thanks for tuning in.